Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here. <laughs> glad that I'm here with all of my stuff in the right place. If you have your Bible, go ahead and find uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. We are in the last part, part four of the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus' last uh, kind of section of teaching before we enter into uh, the passion narrative of his uh, institution of the Lord's Supper, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest and betrayal, his uh, flogging, his crucifixion, this whole story of the end of Jesus' earthly life. Um, we're right on the cusp of that as we go into uh, this text. Well, as I said earlier, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And so uh, today, historically, we think about the triumphal entry, right? We think about Jesus riding in on a donkey, going into Jerusalem with crowds surrounding him, with palm branches, tossing their coats onto the ground. Um, historically, the church has thought very keenly about Jesus' ministry and his death and resurrection on this week. Although we've already looked at the triumphal entry a couple of weeks ago in our study of Matthew chapter 21, it's going to help us uh, to have that image of the crowds in our head. So uh, hold your place in Matthew 25. Just flip over just a couple of pages to uh, Matthew 21 in verse 8. 21 verse 8. I just want you to get this picture of kind of where we are in Palm Sunday, and I'm going to try to connect that to our uh, message this morning in the Olivet Discourse. But Matthew 21 verse 8 says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this crowd in Jerusalem in Matthew 21 is praising Jesus as the son of David, saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's the same crowd that in chapter 27 will shout to Pilate, let him be crucified. And so just get that image, this, the same crowd that's praising Jesus and honoring him as an inaugurated king coming into Jerusalem will be the same crowd that shouts for his execution just a couple of days later. So as we remember the triumphal entry this Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus came not to establish a throne like the crowds wanted, but to do something greater through his death. He came to be the king of kings. His love is what motivated him to the cross. And today in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, we're going to be hearing what is basically Jesus's final sermon. I mean, think about that. When you think about the context of Jesus's ministry, this is his last official time to teach. This is his last sermon. It's the culmination of everything we've learned over the last few weeks in the Olivet Discourse and what the end will be like when the righteous and the unrighteous are judged by the king. So here's my hope as we read this text and think through some things together. My hope and prayer is that we would come away from this text grateful. Like that's the, that's the response of our heart that I'm hoping for, that we would come to this text, come away from this text grateful to Jesus 
for the clarity that he gives us in his word. So we're going to look at two different kinds of people there are at the end of all things and then make some final points. So let's read Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, or 25 rather, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. We humble ourselves before you this morning on this Palm Sunday to recognize our great need and your great provision. Lord, we were blind, but because of your grace, we are able to see. We were lost, but because of your mercy, we have been found. We were wandering about as sons and daughters of disobedience, but because of your great love for us, you died and brought us life instead of death. Lord, we pray that as we study your word this morning and think about the judgment that is to come to all the living and the dead, I pray that you might help us to respond rightly, to worship you in spirit and truth, to be grateful for the great clarity that you give us that there are really only two ways to live. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one of us who calls you our Savior and our Lord, you would stir us up to love and to good works. You would help us to rest in your finished work. Would you remind us once again of the power of the gospel? And for those of us in the room who are not followers of Jesus, who are not believers, who have not confessed that you are the Lord of our life, would you use your word to bring about great conviction that leads us to repentance that flows out of your loving kindness? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first this morning, we want to look at the sheep on the right. We see this picture of Jesus coming like a king, and he's going to sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations, Jesus says, will be before him. All the nations. And he will separate those nations to his right and to his left. Jesus is the glorious Son of Man in this text. He is the one who will judge all the nations. Everyone who has ever lived will be raised from the dead and gathered around his throne. Notice this judgment is final. I mean, if we've been around the orbit of this church for a while, we are well acquainted with the finality of the judgment of God. But just so that we're clear, there are no second chances here. 
There is no approaching the bench. There is no negotiation. Jesus will separate the living and the dead to his right and to his left. The only one making pronouncements, the only one making judgments will be Christ. And for those who are his sheep, the pronouncement is simply incredible. For those who go to his right, the ones who are considered the sheep of the shepherd, they are blessed by Jesus' Father. They are inheritors of a kingdom, don't miss this, that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. So before God spoke light, before he created the heavens and the earth, he was at work making this kingdom for you if you are a sheep. Why does Jesus say they get these things? Why do they get to come? Why do they get to enjoy the the blessing of the Father? Why do they get to inherit this kingdom? Well, verses 35 and 36 may be surprising to you. Jesus says that they get these things because of what they've done. Now, we wholeheartedly believe that salvation is by grace alone. That there's nothing you or I could ever do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we could ever accrue. There's no work that we could ever accomplish. There's no merit that we could ever store up that would afford us a ticket to heaven. But Jesus says in verses 35 and 36, for, as in the reason why all of these things are true is because I've seen this. For I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was stranger. You welcomed me on and on. He goes, six of these kind of foundational, basic acts of love and kindness and compassion. In other words, the lifestyle of the righteous was one of selfless service, one of love. And the sheep are surprised, right? They're like, when did we ever see you, Jesus, uh, hungry? Because I'm not, I'm not remembering that one. Or when did we see you in prison and visit you? Because you never went to prison, as far as I know. Uh, so so the, the sheep are confused. They don't understand why Jesus is saying these things. When did they do these things for Jesus? And that brings us to verse 40, which is an atomic bomb of a verse. Look at it with me. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, that is those acts of service and kindness and love, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Last week, Pastor Brian preached from John 3, 31 through 36, but verses 35 and 36 will really help us here. So they're going to be on the screen. You'll have to turn there. This is what it says. It says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So we think about verse 31 in Matthew 25, the son of man will be the one who sits on the throne. He will judge the living and the dead. Now look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Okay, so far so good. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. All right, so whoever believes has life. Whoever does not obey does not have life. In other words, belief and obedience, believing and obeying, are, using, are being used here in John as synonyms. 
In other words, the fruit of our faith in Christ will result in these kinds of works of love. It doesn't mean that if you've never visited someone in prison, you're not going to heaven. Jesus is saying, this is the kind of fruit that we will see that is coming from a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. If there is no fruit, there has been no transformation. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. Jesus is not teaching works-based righteousness in this parable. If he was, then the righteous ones would have responded to Jesus and said, Oh yeah, Jesus, that's why we did all that stuff. To get to heaven. Of course we did those things because we knew we had to do so many good things in order to be with you in heaven. But that's not what they say. They're surprised. They're shocked. Instead, Jesus showed them and he shows us today that how we love and care for the least of these, my brothers, is how we love and care for Jesus. I'm going to say that again. How we love and care for the least of these, my brothers, Jesus says, is how we love and care for Jesus. I think Jesus has primarily other disciples in mind. So here's the point. How we love and treat the body of Christ is how we treat Christ. So how we love and how we treat the body of Christ, as in the people in this room, the people in this building, the people that we will gather with in just a moment in our morning service, how we love and treat those people will reflect how we love and treat Jesus. How we treat the body of Christ is how we treat Christ. How we love the body of Christ is how we love Christ. This is why it makes no sense for someone to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't really want to do anything with the church. Well, I'm a follower of Christ, but that belief in Jesus is a very private matter, and I don't really need to express that towards other people that I've committed to. I mean, the church, I mean, you have all these problems, right? All these problems in the church, all these things that you disagree with. And so I'll just do my own thing. The Bible has no category for that kind of person. Now, in fact, to love and obey and serve Christ will show evidence in the church. Because how we love and treat the least of these, my brothers, is how we love and treat Jesus himself. Those fruits we bear by the power of the Spirit can be a great encouragement for us as we long for Jesus' return. In other words, when you and I uh, devote ourselves to love and to good works, we are an encouragement to ourselves and we are an encouragement to others because Jesus is saying in this text, those are exactly the kind of things I would see in someone who will be with me forever. In other words, Christians live like sheep because they are sheep. Right? So don't overthink this. I was talking with somebody earlier. Like, don't overthink this. We're not thinking like, okay, well, the goal is like, way far out there of what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. And so ah, they just feel this huge gap. And maybe you feel this way. You feel like you're in your own uh, walk with Christ or your own uh, love for the Lord may be nowhere near what you want it to be. And if you think about the gap between where you are and where you want to be, you can get overwhelmed. You can find yourself anxious. You can find yourself even doubting, like, 
Is my love for Jesus even real? And that's precisely the wrong kinds of questions. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't mean to like be flipping her over like to, to baby. I don't mean to baby anybody. I just, no, we act like Christians. You're a Christian now. So act like it. And what are the kinds of things that you do to act like a Christian? Well, you love your neighbor and you love the body. You love God's word. And if you find in yourself this reality that, oh, man, there are some days where I just don't love to do those things. Join the club. None of us have arrived. None of us have made it all the way. This is why the, the, the righteous sheep in this passage are so surprised. Because feeding somebody who's hungry or giving somebody thirsty, who's thirsty some water or somebody who doesn't have a coat and giving them a coat, that's not really like, in the grand scheme of things, a very significant thing. You know what I mean? That's kind of like just living your life. And what Jesus is saying is, as you and I live out our lives as followers of Christ, the kinds of things that will mark our life if we're growing in the Spirit and submitting ourselves to His Word and investing our life in the body are the kinds of works of love that He lists here. It's not that these things are the, the currency that get you into heaven. This is the evidence that says you have a heart that is going to heaven. Christians live like sheep because they are sheep. But there's another kind of person at the glorious throne of Christ. Not the sheep, but the goats. So follow with me in verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on the left, or on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we need to spend some time thinking about the goats on the left. The sheep on the right will inherit the kingdom. They will be welcomed into the joy of the Father, the blessing of the Father of Jesus. But the second group of people, also from all the nations, are not welcomed into the kingdom. They are not blessed by the Father, but must depart from the King as the cursed ones, who are going to the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the sentencing of the second death, what Revelation will call being cast into the lake of fire. And why? Why are they being cursed? Why are they having to depart from the king? Because they failed to do all the things the righteous ones did. Now again, remember the place of these works. They are the fruit of a heart that's been transformed by the power of the gospel. They are not the currency that gets someone a ticket to heaven. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. The ones who are cursed, the ones who will depart from Christ, are the ones whose hearts were not transformed, whose hands did not care for and serve the least of these, 
Now remember the image that we started with this morning at the triumphal entry. There's a crowd of people praising and worshiping and giving honor to Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. The crowds are flocking around him, shouting their praises. But those same voices would lift up shouts for death in just a few short days. In other words, many who seemed like they knew and loved and followed and submitted to Jesus were not his at all. Which is why verse 44 is so striking for us. Look again at verse 44. The goats, those not blessed, those cursed to destruction, call Jesus Lord. Lord. They recognized Jesus. They had knowledge of him. But it was not a kind of knowledge that united them to him by faith. Instead, it was a knowledge that sought after their own gain. That's what's going on in the triumphal entry. You have these crowds of people aligning themselves with Jesus because they think he's about to establish a new kingdom. That he's about to establish an unstoppable earthly power and they want to be on the right side of power. They don't, they don't love Jesus. They love themselves. And they're using Jesus so that they can love themselves more. Paul talks about this. I'll put it on the screen in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll just, just read this together. So just Paul is talking about what's to come for the church. And he says, but understand this, that in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pause. That is not a good list. But look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, avoid such people. Students, in other words, there are many in local churches each week. There are many who are in churches this morning who read the Bible and sing songs and give their money because they, like the crowds around Jesus at the triumphal entry, are led by self-love instead of self-denial. And as followers of Jesus, we must recognize that although we are new creations in Christ, that old self still thrashes about fighting for its former glory and its former pride. So on Palm Sunday, and in our text this morning, we must see that the way to real life, the way to real blessing is not through self-idolatry but through loving God, loving his bride, and by extension, loving our neighbor as ourself. So don't miss this. There, there are many, there are many who will be 
able to say in some sense to Jesus, Lord, but will nonetheless be separated from the sheep and cursed and commanded to depart. Because their knowledge of God, their use for God was not for God's sake. It was for their own gain, for their own love of self, for their own idolatry of self. So as we think about just some concluding takeaways before we dive into some discussion, we need to be reminded that that the clarity of what Jesus is saying to you and me right now is incredibly helpful. The clarity with which he says, hey, look, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Like, I'm going to judge everyone, everyone who has ever lived. All the nations will gather around my throne, and I will be able to separate them into two groups. There are only two options, only two outcomes for every person who's ever lived. You will either be blessed by God or cursed by God. And we don't have to wonder which we are. Because Jesus offers life and blessing and love and a place in the mansions that he prepares for us in glory if only you would come to him by faith. If you would repent of your sin, turn from your wicked ways, recognize that you are not the king of the universe, but he is. And confess that in your great need, God has given you a great provision. You don't have to wonder to which side of the throne you will go. You don't have to wonder. You can have confidence. Second, we notice here that the church is the body of Christ. And how we love and care for the body is how we love and care for Christ. There's a commentator named Doug O'Donnell that says, There's a theoretical part to this, so a part that we think about in our minds, and there's a practical part, a part that we put into practice. Listen to what he says. He says, the theoretical is this. Allegiance to Jesus is ecclesial. Allegiance to Jesus is ecclesial. That is, how you treat other Christians, especially the little ones, demonstrates the nature of your relationship with Jesus. So that's the theory The even more practical way of saying that comes straight from the pen of Paul. In Galatians 6.10, he writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How you treat the body is how you treat Jesus. John says a similar thing. This will be on the screen. 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's a lot of knowledge and love. And and John is weaving those two things together for a very particular purpose. If I know God, not, not if I know things about him from the Bible, Not if I can pass a quiz on who God is according to Scripture. But if I know God, like if I know Him like a person that He is, then I'll love. Why? Because God is love. And so if I know God, I will will live my life in light of the God that I know, which is going to lead me to acts of love and service. You're not going to nail it. 
You're not going to be perfect. But the desire, the motivating factor, the fuel in your heart will be, how can I express the love that God has shown me to others? How can I express and model the the life that Jesus lived for me so that others might see Jesus in me? Around your tables and during this week, I challenge you to consider how you might love the other people in this room. Maybe you have classmates in this room, folks in your equipping group, or people that you sing with in region, or family friends. Again, don't ever think this. Can we pray for each other? Are you just thinking about like sometime this week, like I'm just going to sit down and pray for everyone in my equipping group. I'm just going to sit down and pray for everyone in my table group. I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes. Or maybe I'm going to text one of the people in my group and say, hey, I want to pray for you tonight. Like, what are some, what are some ways I can be praying for you right now? I mean, it's like little, again, in the life of the Christian, not super significant, not a, not a total game changer, not a I have to rearrange my whole life and schedule to do these things. Just like I don't have to rearrange my schedule to hand somebody a coat who needs it. But this is the kind of life that sheep live. Can we find ways generally and specifically to encourage one another? Maybe you know somebody who's trying out for something. Maybe there's somebody in your group who you know is going through a hard time at school or a hard time at home. How can you specifically encourage them? How can you point them to the one who can provide for their needs? How can you pray for them even in that moment? Can we think of a way that we can provide practical help to one another? Again, don't overthink this. Maybe you're really good at science and somebody in your equipping group is not. Have you ever thought like, hey, like if you ever wanted help, like I'd be happy. I'd be happy to help you. Can we honor one another in some way? Like, again, we don't think that these things are important until we experience them. But the idea of honoring one another, I mean, the Bible tells us you should seek to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Like, more than a compare, like a competition of like who is better at ping pong or who's better at pool or who's better at playing video games. Like I want to be the best person in the room at honoring everyone else in the room. Like those are the kind of things that Scripture is calling us to. And I don't know about you, but whenever somebody honors me, it feels weird, right? Like it feels weird for somebody to say nice things about you, just like out in the open even if it's like, especially if it's like to other people. Like what if like in your equipping group this week, like you just kind of stepped out in some boldness and said, look, I don't know if you know, but Johnny over here in our group, like I don't know if you've, if you've caught this, but I've caught it. Like he comes every week having read the text, having studied it. Like he offers us insight every week. And like I I just, I need to be reminded that like, I can do this. And and Johnny, like your faithfulness has reminded me that I can be faithful to Jesus, just like you've been faithful to Jesus. Thank you, brother. 
That's not to embarrass anybody. It's not to make anybody feel weird. It's to notice the reason why that feels weird is because it doesn't happen. And it feels weird because for that moment we recognize, man, I need that. Like I need people in my life who see me, who notice things in me, and more, more specifically, notice God at work in me. And students, I'm telling you, he is. And if we would open our eyes and see one another and look at one another and, and notice one another, we would begin to notice the ways that God is at work in the brothers and sisters around us, and they would begin to notice the same in you. Like, I don't know how to sell that to you. Like, I don't know how to pitch that to you of like, you need this. Other than to say, I mean, what's the alternative? Just continue like showing up and like not really engaging with anybody and like just kind of looking at this book frustrated or, I, mean, I don't know what the alternative is. But the option that scripture gives us is unbelievably good. The point of this text is not to leave us moping and terrified and doubting as believers. That's not the point of this text. The point of this text is not for you to leave today going, I just don't even know if I'm a Christian. No, Jesus is showing us that at his judgment, all things will be made right. That justice will reign. And so I pray that you might hear this text as an invitation to trust that the hard road of loving others as God has loved you in Christ is actually the right and best way to live. So unlike the crowds that surround Jesus on this day 2,000 some odd years ago who are faking their praise to Jesus to get stuff, who, who are doing these things in order to be seen by others so that when the time comes <coughs> that power shifts in the culture, you might be remembered as someone worthy of respect or worthy of a position, or worthy of some responsibility. Putting all of those things to death, Jesus is saying a very basic question. Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think about, I think about Peter at the end of Jesus' life after he's betrayed Jesus in a way that many of us can't even comprehend. Like three times, most likely with Jesus in earshot. Jesus, I mean, Peter is cursing and denying that he has ever known Jesus. And Jesus comes to Peter after the resurrection. And he doesn't berate him. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't condemn him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. And what does Jesus say for Peter to do? What is the right kind of life that flows from a heart that loves God? Okay, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? 
Lord, you, you, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, is, Peter gets it, right? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Students, that's, we don't overcomplicate it. That's the question before us. Do we love God? Do we love Jesus? Do we love the one who's given us himself? And the fruit of that love will show itself in the world like loving and caring for one another. It's not a rebuke. It's not a condemnation. It's an invitation to a way of life that is infinitely better than anything else you can imagine. So as Jesus prepares to die in the Gospel of Matthew, let's hear his final sermon and resolve to live. Let's pray.